Disclosure, a complex problem if you are HIV positive. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Klitzman. Dr. Klitzman is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Columbia University, New York, Director of Ethics and Policy Corps of the HIV Center for Clinical and Behavior Studies, Columbia University, and also the best-selling author of When Doctors Become Patients. He has also written Mortal Secrets, Truth and Lies in the Face of AIDS, and Being Positive, The Lives of Men and Women with HIV. Thank you very much, Doctor, for joining us. You're welcome. I'm pleased to be here. With there being evidence now that the disclosure of HIV status often has beneficial effects on AIDS epidemics, can you tell me what your research can add to this statement? Well, there are a few issues. We know that disclosure can be good. That is, if someone has HIV, they tell their sexual partners in particular. However, we know that a lot of people don't disclose, and they don't disclose and then proceed to engage in high-risk behavior. One person said to me, well, I told my wife that I'm HIV positive, but I haven't told the other chicks I sleep with, unquote, which I found very disturbing. Well, why not? Well, they're just chicks I sleep with, and this person had all kinds of rationalizations. But you can imagine that when he doesn't tell these other women that he's having sex with that he's positive, they may not take precautions or ask him to take precautions, that is to wear condom, and as a result, they too may become infected. So especially since we now have good treatment, people may not even think they're at risk because no one has told them that they are positive when they're having sex with them. So people who are HIV positive continue to not disclose and also may continue to have unsafe sex. In your clinic, do you have evidence of this? Yes, and I should say not everyone by any means, and I would say most people uh, overall do disclose, and then there are issues. If they don't disclose, many of those people, perhaps most, engage in uh, use condoms. But, for instance, in one study we did of gay men or men who have sex with men in four cities around the United States who are HIV positive, about 20 to 25 percent did not disclose and engaged in high-risk sex with partners who they did not know were also positive. In other words, sometimes they'll say, well, the partner was also positive, and that's why I didn't tell. But here, there are people where they didn't know what the partner's HIV status was. They just didn't disclose, and they then engage in unsafe sex. So that's 20 to 25% of people. That's a, that's a concerning number of people. And when you think that there are now 40 million people around the world infected with HIV, and that everyone who got it got it from someone who was also infected, technically HIV is a very preventable disease. In other words, you don't get it from the air, right? So if everyone who is now positive said that they would not spread HIV to their partners, the epidemic would stop immediately. So you're saying that even though AIDS has become a chronic disease, there hasn't been a change in sexual practices either with your regular partner or with casual sex? Well, there's been some change, but I would argue not enough. So I think that, as I said, arguably probably most people either disclose or decide they're going to practice safer sex, but there are people who don't. And even if it's just 10% of people, that's 4 million people. And if in the United States, that's 100,000 people. We have about a million cases of HIV in the U.S. or close to that. So there are 100,000. If, 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 let's say, well, you get the idea that there, even sure. if it's 20% of the people, it's still that would be 200,000 people, right, who are 
continuing to spread HIV. And so that is of concern as a public health measure. And of course, people who are then infected and haven't been told may then continue to spread it to other people. And the problem is, of course, that it is a preventable disease. That's the shame of it. And just think if we had pushed further 10 years ago when the epidemic was much smaller than the 40 million it is now, we would have had even less of a problem. So these are ongoing issues. With highly active antiretroviral treatment, has this changed sexual practices? You touched on this. Now that there are medications, has this changed safe and unsafe sex practices? Yes, it does and it doesn't. And I should say, by the way, as you mentioned in your introduction, my book, Mortal Secrets, Truth and Lies in the Age of AIDS and Being Positive, The Lives of Men and Women with HIV, those two books both go into these issues in greater depth. But it cuts both ways. On the one hand, there are some people who say, well, you know, AIDS, no, it's a treatable disease. It's no big deal. I don't have to tell people because it's so what? They get infected, they can go get treatment. At the same time, people may feel, you know, I don't look sick. I don't feel sick. I'm pretty healthy. And, and we're not good at talking about sex. So there are people who say, well, my partner said, are you healthy? And I said, yeah. So we had unsafe sex because I feel healthy. Sure, I'm HIV positive, but I take my treatment, my viral load is zero, so I don't need to tell people. So there are a number of issues here, right? So one is how do people talk about this and how should they talk about it and the way in which there's huge ambiguity if we talk about this. So people may say, are you healthy? Yes, even though I'm HIV positive, someone may say, right, because they feel healthy. So we don't define these terms specifically. They're hard to talk about. They're taboo. There's a lot of stigma. There's discrimination, which I should say is why there are these problems with disclosure. People are afraid they'll get rejected. Uh, and these issues continue. So on the one hand, treatment's good. People feel healthier. You'd hope that they'd have a positive attitude. And, and But on the other hand, some people may say, well, I don't need to tell now because I feel healthy and it's a treatable disease. And in the past, when people looked sick or looked more ill, they may have felt more stigmatized and felt more stigma and felt more of an obligation to tell or the, the fact that they were sick, people would come up. People would say, well, you have HIV. Whereas now that people look healthy, it's more out of sight, out of mind. And that's a concern that people, because of the treatment, in fact, may not tell. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Klitzman, the author of the best-selling book, When Doctors Are Patients. And we're discussing the disclosure issues in HIV. I look back at your book, uh, one of your first books, Being Positive, The Lives of Men and Women with HIV, and there's a chapter in particular that caught my eye, Disclosure. And I believe this book was written in 1997. Right. So even in 1997, there was an issue with disclosure, and I thought about all the men who were coming out then and making a disclosure about the very fact that they were gay. And that was something that was new to them. Now they have to disclose an entirely different issue. But you would think that having gone through it once, it might even be easier the second time. And then I thought about, you know, if you came out and you said you were gay and suddenly you went through the stigma and isolation that goes along with that possibly, you might be so hurt and burned by that first experience that you might not want to disclose about, now I'm HIV positive. Yes, exactly. It's complicated because you'd think that people would say, I've been through that, I want to avoid secrecy. On the other hand, some people realize that there are benefits to being closeted. You don't have to deal with stigma. You can pass as normal. 
so it can cut both ways. You would hope, though, that people would see the benefits of openness. But I should say, you know, people get rejected. People have told me, you know, on, you know, I wasn't sure should I tell on the first date, the second date. If I tell on the first date, there'll never be a second date, or may well never be a second date. If I wait too long, if I wait six months into a relationship, someone may say, well, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you tell me right away? So in some ways, it's it's still very very difficult. I don't want to underestimate the degree to which one can face stigma and discrimination, how hard it is, face rejection, face ostracization. So it's it's a very difficult issue. And I think a, a point here is that we need to be better as physicians, as clinicians, in helping patients deal with these issues, to help them walk through what their fears are and have them realize, at least make an informed decision that realize they shouldn't just say, well, I don't want to tell, I'll be rejected. Well, they should realize, well, wait, how would you bring it up later and weigh these different issues? And I should say, since I've started doing the work on disclosure of HIV, I've been involved with research on disclosure of genetic issues. Uh, and it's a similar issue. Do you tell someone that you're at risk of Huntington's disease or have the gene for breast cancer? When do you tell a spouse that you have different uh, mutations that you might pass on to your children, for instance? And again, physicians don't deal well with these issues there too. So I think the whole issue of, as physicians, a responsibility that we have to help patients deal with talking about their illnesses when it may be relevant with partners and family members is a very important issue that I think we need to give more attention to. I want to ask you, just to shift a little, does disclosure help with patients adhering to their drug management, or does it actually interfere? Again, it cuts both ways, actually. Uh, And I think that in some ways, we hope that people feel better on medications, that they'll therefore see the benefit of taking the medication, and they won't feel as shameful, as depressed, as anxious, uh, and therefore they'll be able to live more comfortably with being HIV positive, and therefore they'll feel less ashamed of it and be able to be more comfortable with it. They'll integrate it more into their lives. On the other hand, one can imagine where someone may say, you know, if I take the medication, and I should say this is more when the medication first came out and had to be taken several times during the day, some people said, you know, God, people see that I'm taking medication at work. They wonder what it is. Maybe I shouldn't take it. Or taking the medication may in fact out people, at least with people with work. So it can be complicated. I would hope, though, that being more comfortable with it, if other people in your family know that you're positive, they may be able to be social supports and encouraging you to take the medication as well. So I think there are two behaviors that I think are linked in a complex set of ways, but hopefully can be synergistic. You know, one of the things that caught me in your research was that often disclosure is made in the format of when a general discussion is going on with the disease rather than when the topic is confined to sexual practices only. I wonder if we can learn something from this, that in, as you say, HIV land, discussions of the disease itself and all its effects at that time would be the best time for disclosure rather than on a date. Yes, exactly right. I think that to do, disclosing in context is very important. I should say one other area that comes up I think is, is of interest is disclosing at the workplace. And here, again, based on interviews I've done with other diseases, there's a whole set of issues about do you tell people, anyone at work, that you have HIV or breast cancer or the Huntington's disease gene or a whole bunch of other illnesses and how we navigate these things. And on the one hand, we'd like to get some social support if we need to take time off from work. On the other hand, we don't want to be discriminated against. And so I think the example of HIV to describe in the books, I think can help us navigate a whole other set of issues that we all face about when do we, what is public and what is private, 
How do we draw that line? Where are there trade-offs in shifting the line, being more public or more private about certain things about ourselves, about uh, disease or something else, substance abuse, whatever it is? Well, I think we can say that whatever policy, law, or regulations come into effect, everyday moral norms and beliefs are going to make the difference and will be most significant in getting patients to disclose. I want to thank Dr. Robert Klitzman, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing disclosure in the field of AIDS and HIV disease. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you very much. If you have any comments or suggestions, call us at 888-XM-157. Again, thank you very much for listening.